All right, look at your neighbor. Say, aren't you glad you came to church today? Give somebody a high five. You can side hug your spouse, you know, see how that works. But hey, guys, um, man, who is grateful to get together with the people of God today? Who's thankful to be together? It really is a gift. Family time is special time. I know we all have a thousand different things going on in life, and there's a thousand different things you could be doing, especially in a place like Salt Lake City on a Sunday afternoon. But this is critically important family time. I hope you're already blessed and encouraged um, and just sensing the love and presence of God as we're gathering here together. Um, If I haven't met you yet, my name's Chris Pletcher, and I am the lead pastor here at Antioch Salt Lake. My wife, Arlena, and I have the privilege, really, of just running with an incredible uh, staff team. We've got a team here that we live and breathe, and it just try to tune into what is God saying for this valley, for this community, for this body, um, and we, we are blessed and honored to be here. And I'm just excited. We're in week two. We are going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. How many of you guys liked Ephesians chapter one last week? You're here last week. How many of you, you've been digging into Ephesians one in your quiet time? We were, we were talking about the, the, the joy of our salvation and restoring the joy of our salvation. And we're jumping in to part two tonight. And I want to just kind of share a little bit of my journey of salvation in the Lord and kind of tell you a little bit about my story growing up. I grew up in Houston, Texas. Anybody, any Texan natives here in the room? Come on. All right. So I grew up in Houston. I'm the oldest of three kids. Uh, My dad is this amazingly warm and kind man. He's never met a stranger in his life. He's incredibly smart, successful, intellectual, responsible, and as all type A people can be from time to time, a little anal, okay? My mom is just, I, hey, you're, gonna, you're laughing at me. Don't, I'm going to get you creatives in a second too. My mom is this beautiful, free-spirited, oil painter, emotional, intuitive, and as all creatives can be, slightly wacky at times, okay? You're going to get some great insight as to why I am the way that I am, okay? I got split down the middle, 50% of my dad and 50% of my mom. So I've got the double dose of like, I can be really anal and wacky at the same time. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a wild world living inside of my head sometimes. But honestly, I had a pretty great childhood and grew up in a pretty safe home where I knew that I was loved. My parents were very present. But when it came to matters of the faith, I received mixed messages. Anybody else? My dad actually grew up Catholic, but at some point in junior high, high school, college, kind of walked away from the faith, became agnostic. Basically, we, we can't know if there really is a God. We can't, if he exists, we can't really know what he's like. And so his point of view for me as a kid was, you got to figure it out on your own. He was very against indoctrinating me or any of our, the kids in the family into the faith. My mom, on the other hand, had this powerful encounter with God when she was in her 20s that set her free from years, generational alcohol, drug abuse, a crazy, crazy upbringing. And when she was 23, 24 years old, had an encounter with God and it changed her whole life. 
And so I grew up in this family where my mom really planted a lot of seeds in, for the love of God in my life, but my dad didn't really want a whole lot to do with it. So needless to say, we weren't like a church-going family. And so the rift, and this is important here, the rift in their spiritual views became a rift in their marriage, and the rift in their marriage became a rift in our family. And when I was 14 years old, my parents got a divorce, my dad moved out like two months before I started high school. My dad moves out, custody issues, we're decided we're gonna you know, make everybody happy. And so I literally, for four years of high school, would spend two nights at my mom's house, pack my bags, spend two nights at my dad's house, pack my bags, spend the weekend at my mom's house, pack my bags, two nights at dad's house, pack my bags. This is getting old after one week. This was four years high school, and we would do that. And that was, the, the, that was what happened to my family as I enter into my adolescence. But I basically just, like we all do, decided to ignore my pain and numb the heartache. And it was kind of easy as a high school student because I just threw myself in full send to the pursuit of being the all-American kid, okay? So in high school, what, all that meant for me was uh, sports, grades, girlfriends, repeat, right? Sports, grades, girlfriends, repeat. Anybody else, all-American kid that was like, okay, it's okay that my family's imploding. I, the world is my oyster. And so I just kind of distracted myself. Thankfully, by the grace of God, when I was 16 years old, some of my friends invited me to a Christian summer camp. I'm this broken 16-year-old kid just doing my best to make it through life. And this week at camp in the midst of all my pain, all my brokenness, all my selfishness, all my adolescent pride and ego, I encountered the gospel of my salvation. And really it hit me in two parts. The first part was there was a reason that life felt broken because it was. And that it wasn't just my life that was broken, but that it was every single person had experienced on some level a deep rift and brokenness in their life because of sin. Nobody needed to tell me that I was a sinner. Nobody needed to convince me that my life was broken. I was well aware and very in touch with that. I just didn't know the second part was that that anybody gave a rip about it or could much less do anything about it. And so the second part was that there was a person who loved me anyway in the midst of my brokenness and didn't just love me, but came to do something about it. And at the end of that week, I heard the gospel of Jesus proclaimed. We were just singing about God knocking down walls, right? There's no wall you can't knock down. And it was like this wrecking ball This beautiful wrecking ball started just hitting these walls in my heart and in my life and started changing things. And literally, by the end of the week, I was weeping as for the first time in my life, I heard about Jesus on the cross. Romans 5, we read this last week, puts it like this. While we were still weak, while we were still helpless. You fill in the blank. While I was still broken, while I was still addicted, while I was still hurting, while I was still in chains, whatever it is, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. 
But God shows his love for us. This is what we're just singing about. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First Peter puts it like this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And so this 16-year-old broken kid from a broken home, I began to experience the healing of the redemptive message of Jesus in my life. I began to experience a deep change because the blood always makes a way where there is no way. And the blood of Jesus made a way in my life and made a way in my heart for me to become someone that I never could have or would have become on my own. What's your story? When did you first hear that gospel? Who was the first person that planted the seed in your heart? Did it take you a while to believe? Was it a long process? Or, or did you hear it like me and you were like, oh my, this is the best news I've ever heard. You mean somebody can do something about my brokenness? I mean, I was running to the aisle at the end of that week and literally I had friends, my best friend sitting next to me. They're, they're sharing the message of Jesus on the cross and literally he's whispering in my ear, I'm not gonna let them brainwash me with this crap. And my heart is being ripped open by the love of God and Jesus on the cross, and I'm running. Now look, it took some time, some outworking. At 16 years old, I was already deeply and sufficiently messed up in so many ways, so many issues, so much sin, so much bondage. And so it was a journey. But we all have a testimony, or else you're in the process of becoming one. And this is the gospel, that God came to seek and save what was lost. And as the church, it is our primary mission to carry the gospel, to communicate the gospel clearly. Actually, church, I'm going to challenge you to be excited about the gospel, okay? To be stirring ourselves up by studying books like Ephesians, by reflecting on the love of God for us, by singing about it, by tapping into God's heart. In his love, not just for us, but for the world. And this was what drove the passion of Paul the Apostle, who wrote this letter to the Ephesian church. And it was his eagerness to preach the gospel. It didn't just impact individual lives. It actually shaped this whole region. And we're still literally living in the legacy of his passion for the gospel, which is why we're studying Ephesians. Last week, we saw Paul explode in the introduction of this letter with a love for and a passion for the God of the gospel. And he unpacked for us in part one the incredible love of God. Here's what I want you to see tonight. That Paul's love for the gospel that we saw in part one was fueled by a fervent life of fellowship with God. And we're going to get a glimpse tonight in part two of this man's secret place prayer life. We're going to get a glimpse into what, who Paul was and what his connection with God looked like long before he put a pen and started writing this letter. We just get a glimpse 
into its heart. Do you know, church, that if we're going to be a church, if we're going to be people that are passionate about the gospel, the only way we're ever going to become that is if in our quiet, secret place, private lives, we are leaning in and become people that are passionate about knowing God. This is... Where, what we get a glimpse of tonight. So flip to Ephesians 1. I want you to pick it up with me in verse 15. And here's what I want you to know tonight. If you've ever wanted to learn how to pray, today is your day. If you've ever wondered, what should I pray for? Today is your day, okay? If you've ever struggled to believe that your prayer life actually matters, that it makes a difference, is it important? If you're just in general struggling with your own connection and walk with God, hey, you came to the right service. And I believe that God is going to encourage us tonight in three things, the nature of prayer, the aim of Paul's prayer, what he actually prayed for, and the effect of those prayers. And I think that there, it's going to do something in our hearts. So look here in Ephesians 1. He says this, verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I want to see a couple things. Look what he's praying here in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. He is praying, asking God to give the Ephesian church something. You see that? He's praying that he would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Do you know that you can read this book your whole life and become an incredible intellectual and be an academic genius when it comes to God's word. You know that there are people that are actually academic geniuses in the word of God that don't believe in him? Yeah. You can study God's word and become academically an expert in what is in those pages, but you can never know him without the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You actually need the Holy Spirit to reveal him. You need, that's why he's praying for this, by the way. He's going, God, open their eyes to see who you are. Why? So that they would know you. 18, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened that they may know the hope to which he has called you. I wanna, we're gonna pause right there. There is so much in this passage. Can I just say on the front end, I cannot exhaust this passage in 30 minutes on a Sunday afternoon. It is your job, church, to exhaust this passage in your quiet time space with the Lord as you seek him for yourself this week. So if you're expecting me to exegetically exhaust 12 verses of scripture tonight, it's not gonna happen. We're gonna lean into a couple of main things and then I want you to go dig into the word of God and let him reveal the rest of it to you. How about that? We're not just here to go through Ephesians Sunday week after week. Follow along with us. Dig. I was so encouraged. I got a message from one of the guys last Monday after we were up here at church. He was like, oh man, I was in Ephesians 1 this morning just digging in. God was encouraging me so much. Man, yes and amen. All right? If you're expecting to get a full weeks of spiritual nourishment from me in 35 minutes on a Sunday... I'm just going to keep praying that you'd get the spirit of revelation, okay? Because that's, ain't gonna ha that's not how it happens, all right, church? Are you with me? So here's the deal. He prays for 
them that they would know the hope, the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. How's your hope, church? How's your hope? How would you gauge the current hopefulness level of your heart? Are you just scraping by week after week, just barely making it, hoping that tomorrow you'll feel a little bit better? Hope has to do with your future. How's your future looking? How excited are you? How abundantly hopeful are you that your future is bright, that God is good, that the kingdom is coming? How's your hope? Look at, it, look at Romans 15, 13. I want you to see this with me. I want you to see in Romans 15 that hope only comes through a power encounter with the Holy Spirit, which is good news for you. If your hopefulness is not doing so hot today, I have good news for you. There's an answer. Check this out. Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's just be honest right now. Would you raise your hand if you would describe your current state of life as abounding in hope? Be honest. Come on. It's okay. All right. Praise God. We've got about eight out of, I don't know, 80. Let's call it 10% of this room, okay, are abounding in hope right now. Okay, here's what I want us to see is that if you're not abounding in hope, that's okay. I, have, I, I think Paul is showing us a couple reasons why. It's not a place of condemnation, but it is a place of honesty. Are you with me? Do you know, my friends, sons and daughters of God, that you're called to a life of abounding hope? Do you know that you're not called to scrape by as a son or a daughter of the Most High King to just barely drag through life with barely any peace, barely any joy, and not abounding in hope? Church, I want you to know that is not God's portion for you. It's not God's portion for you. Here's a couple things I want you to know about hope. First of all, you're we're seeing Paul's prayer life. We're getting a window into, God, into Paul's prayer life in this passage. Here's the first thing I want you to hear, okay? Your hope is intimately connected to your prayer life. I'm not judging you or condemning you, but I am saying that if you're having a hope issue, it could be that you're actually having a prayer life issue. Because if God is the God of hope, Okay, then if, if you actually establish a rhythm of seeking him like Jesus did, of spending devotional prayer time with him like the Apostle Paul if, uh, actually did, if we'll establish a rhythm of our lives of connecting with the God of hope, the result is that we walk away from that time abounding in hope, right? Again, this isn't condemnation, but it's, if, if you have a hope issue, it might be that you have a prayer life issue. And so look, Paul, 
is giving us a glimpse into his prayer life. And I want to just encourage you real quick. Let's throw up this slide about um, a prayer of a, a, a devotional life. It says, pick a daily time with God. If you don't have a prayer life, if you don't currently have a devotional rhythm, if this is your only spiritual meal of the week, Sunday, I want to encourage you, God has set a buffet before you every single day. And it's very, very simple. If you want to kickstart your prayer life, it's very, very simple. Number one, it's a two-step process, okay? Number one, pick a daily time to spend time with God, okay? Number two, start talking to him. <laughs> seriously, seriously. My wife and I, we've got five little kids. <clears throat> if we are not intentional about figuring out some time to just have a conversation, <laughs> we will not connect, Okay, so much more so with the God of the universe. He's adopted you to be his son or his daughter. Your portion is to know him. Your portion is to be daily filled with his joy, with his peace. But the deal is, the table is set. Everything you could ever want. The, the door is wide open. We saw part one last week. Jesus spilled his blood to bring you all the way in. And some of us are missing out and we're starving just because we're not showing up. So again, if you're struggling with hope and you're struggling with your prayer life and your communion with God life, it's connected. Your hope is connected, could be connected to your prayer life. But that's not the only, so here, pick a time to spend with God every day. Put it in your phone, set an alarm, and then talk to him. You can worship him through songs. That's what we did. What we just did in this room was prayer and worship. The word that Paul uses for prayer in this passage is actually an all-encompassing word for devotion to God. So you were at a prayer meeting the first half of this service. That's what we were doing. We were connecting with God. You can do that by worshiping through song. You can give thanks for the gospel. Go read through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and just read it until you find yourself thankful for the gospel again. You know what I'm saying? You can read his word. You can share your needs, your sins, your dreams with him. You have access to your heavenly father. And then sit. Listen to his spirit, and just do what he says next. We overcomplicate this all the time, guys. It is not hard to walk with God. We make a lot of excuses for as to why we don't prioritize him. But it is not hard to walk with God. That doesn't mean that if you're just getting started, you might need to ask somebody in the room, hey, help me out. It would be the absolute joy of anybody on our staff, any of our team leaders, your life group leaders, if you came to them and said, okay, he said pick a time to spend with God and talk to him. Like, I don't even know how to do that. Will you help me? Church, there is no shame in this room because Jesus already wiped away all the shame on the cross. So don't believe the lie that you're junior B team, junior varsity Christian if you're just figuring this stuff out. But I will tell you, if you are struggling to abound in hope and you don't have an abundant prayer life, start there. Because you cannot commune with the God of all hope. Let's get Romans 15 back up there. You cannot commune, meet with, spend time with the God of all hope and not experience some of his joy and peace and the power of his Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Yeah. Now, here's the other thing that your hope is connected to. Your hope, 
Let's get Ephesians 1 back up there, the, the, the passage we're studying tonight where he's praying. Did you see this? The hope to which he has called you. Your hope issue might be a prayer issue. You might be spending time alone with God every day and still feel hopeless. Then that might mean you have a calling issue, actually. Your hope is intimately connected to your prayer life. It is also intimately connected to your calling. Do you see that? The hope to which he has called you. You see that? Check this out. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. I want to show you three things that every believer is called to. Because if you don't know what your calling is as a son or daughter of God, then your hope is going to suffer. Does that make sense? Some of us are hopeless or not abounding in hope because we don't get what we're called to. And when we get what he's called us to, we find ourselves reconnecting with our purpose and life and hope starts to flow again because we know we're alive for a purpose, on purpose, and God's calling us to different things. So check this out. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony. This is 2 Timothy. Paul is writing this to his protege, church planner, Timothy. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us, say it with me, to a holy calling. Not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace. I don't know if you missed this last week, but in Ephesians 1, it says this, that in his love, he adopted us as sons through Jesus according to the purpose of his will. If you don't know the purpose for which you are alive, which is another way of saying what you are called to be, who you're called to be, and what you're called to do, then you will suffer in your hopefulness. And part of your purpose is in this phrase right here, a holy calling. Say it again. Say a holy calling. A holy calling calling is twofold. You've received a holy invitation from God. Literally a calling is God has opened his mouth and he has invited you into a life. He has called you into something. So a holy calling is both a holy invitation, but it is also an invitation to holiness. It's both. You've been called into something holy. You've also been called to be holy. Here, if you're taking notes, okay, I'm going to tell you three things that you're called to tonight. I believe that if you can reclaim your purpose and calling as a son or daughter of God, then you will be on the road to living an abundantly hopeful life connected into your purpose for being alive. The first thing that you are called to be is to be like Jesus. That's your holy calling. You're literally called into holiness. Romans 8 says it like this, that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You guys hear people talk about your destiny? You ever have that car? Hey, what do you feel like is your destiny? And we sometimes we throw that around in our Christian community, like, oh, I feel, I just really feel like I'm stepping into my destiny. I got this new job, and it's my destiny, my purpose, and being alive is, man, I'm just gonna slay it at the at the coffee shop, Reuben. It's a good calling, bro, to slay it at the coffee shop, okay? But there's a that's a secondary calling, right? Oh man, my calling, my destiny. I've just got this this knack for sales, and so I'm. I'm 
I'm building the business. I'm providing for my family. Okay, I'm consulting. I've got my job. A job is a part of your vocation. Your vocation, the Latin word for vocare is to call. So your job is a part of your calling. But what I want to submit to you is that it's a secondary part of your calling. Your primary calling, whether you're a barista, whether you're a salesman, whether you're a pastor, okay, no, whether you're a worship leader, whether you're sliding the sliders back there on Sundays and mechanic working on cars every other day of the week, Phil, I'm looking at you. Those are all secondary callings, our primary callings to become like Jesus. We have been predestined to be conformed to his image. I got to be honest with you. I felt like I was falling short of my calling a little bit this past week, all right? If my calling's to look and be like Jesus, there are a couple days this past week where I'm like, Lord, help me. Literally, this has been my prayer life this week. Conform me to the image of your son. And I would walk through the fruits of the Holy Spirit because so many of them were lacking in my life. I'm being honest, I'm not being funny. And I would say, Jesus, conform me to the image of your love. Conform me to the image of your joy. Conform me to the image of your peace. I don't feel very peaceful right now. Conform me to the image of your patience, God, because I'm pulling my hair out trying to juggle all these things and my kids screaming about this or that. Lord, conform me to the image of your son, your number one calling in life to become like Jesus. Your second calling is still here in 2 Timothy 1, check it out, is to not be ashamed of Jesus, all right? Look, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me of, of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I'm just going to tell it to you straight, okay? Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So many of us want the benefits of our salvation and want none of the suffering. Some of us want all the blessings of the heavenly places that he preached in the beginning of Ephesians, but we don't want to share in suffering for the gospel. And if we're honest, we're kind of ashamed. We're kind of quiet to be bold and loud about our faith, right? And especially in the last two years, because you can't say anything without being labeled a bigot or a hater or this or that or whatever, right? And so we just kind of all, let's just get quiet I'm sorry, but you are called to be unashamed about the gospel. And if that brings suffering your way, guess what? You're called to suffer for the gospel. You're called to look like Jesus. You're called to be unashamed about the gospel. And here's the gospel. I love this. He, he, he goes on here and he tells us what the gospel is. Look, he says, the gospel, verse 10, has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Wouldn't you love that on your resume? Yeah. Abolish death. I mean, seriously, guys, do we understand the gospel that we claim to cling to? The gospel is that Jesus abolished death. And so, look, I don't have time to get into all this. This is probably not even the space for it. But listen, guys, do you realize that our whole world for the last two years has been running scared, primarily freaked out, that they're going to get sick and they're going to die. 
That's what happens in a pandemic. Do you understand that that is the conditions that most of our world has lived in, many of which know Jesus, know that he abolished death, are not afraid, and have a very secure eternal hope, okay? But the majority of which do not have an eternal hope, have no hope for life after death, have no idea that Jesus already abolished death. And according to Hebrews 2, I want you to see this verse in Hebrews 2, they are enslaved enslaved to the fear of death. Check it out. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same. That through death, come on, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Church, listen. The way that Jesus abolished death was through his death. He died, he descended into the darkness, and he destroyed the power of the one who had the power of death, Satan. He took the keys of the kingdom, he kicked open the tomb, and he resurrected from the death. Job done, death abolished. Do you know that when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished, he wasn't just talking about your sin. He was talking about the power of death to keep you in fear and slavery your whole lives. Church, listen, listen. If we don't unashamedly cling to a gospel that says Jesus has abolished death, then who is in these days? And what are we standing for? Do you know what I'm saying? So I realize that there's a lot of different reasons why the last couple years have been hard, but we got to open our eyes and realize that the slavery from the fear of death is a real thing. It is a biblical thing. And we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to open our eyes to carry a gospel of a God who's abolished death. All right, so quick recap. You're called number one to what? Look like Jesus. You're called number two to what? Be unashamed about a gospel that this Jesus you're becoming and looking like abolished death, right? Number three, band, you guys can go ahead and start heading up here. You are called to participate in the body of Christ, what the scriptures call the church, all right? In Ephesians, I'm getting a little bit ahead of our Ephesians series, but in chapter four, verse one, he he says, he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of to which you have been called. You see this? He says, I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And I wanna tell you what he does after this. He's urging, he's going, hey, 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 you you wanna know what I'm praying? You wanna know what I'm urging you? I'm urging you, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then he spends the next, 15 verses, check this out, talking about spiritual giftings in the body of Christ. Why? Because part of your holy calling is not just to look like Jesus. Part of your holy calling is not just to unashamedly preach the gospel. Part of your holy calling is to find what God has put inside you through the spirit of holiness and bring it to the body. Because I don't know, I don't think we've even read it yet, but at the end of Ephesians 1, okay, the last verse of Ephesians 1, he says this, that when all of this stuff is happening, check it out, verse 22, that he puts all things under his feet 
And he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Look, the effect of Paul's prayer life, stay with me. This all ties together. You unpack it with the Lord this week. But listen, the effect of Paul's prayer life was this. He knew if we understood the hope that we were called to, we didn't even scratch the surface on the riches of our inheritance or the power of the gospel towards us. We are just at the, on the tip of this thing. But he knows that if these prayers come true, then we will be the church in its fullness. Come on, stand with me. Listen, stand with me today. This time that we are living in, my friends, needs a church in its fullness. We will never be the church in its fullness if we don't understand our calling. But here's what I want you to see. Look, it says that all things are under his feet and that Jesus is the head. And who's the body between the head and the feet? Oh man, y'all fell asleep in my sermon. I must not be doing a very good job today. I'm just kidding. I feel very secure in how I'm preaching the word of God today. Okay, listen. If Jesus is the head and everything's gonna end up under his feet one day, what's between the head and the feet? We are the body. So here's why this connects to me saying you gotta find your fit in his body because look, if we wanna see everything under his feet, it ain't gonna happen unless the body is aligned underneath the head. Paul's prayer, not just in this letter, but in his quiet place with the Lord, day in and day out, his prayer was, Lord, stir up this revelation that we could be the church in its fullness because the world out there needs to know that there's a savior that's abolished death and one of the primary ways that they're going to know that there's a savior that's abolished death is when we as his body between the head and the feet are aligned and living in fullness how's your hope how's your hope How's your prayer life? How's your calling? Look, what do you, when you think about your calling, if you're being totally honest, what do you think about when you think about your calling? You think about your career? That's normal. I get it. You think about raising your kids? That's normal. I get it. Do you think about being a loyal spouse? That's great. That's part of your calling. Do you think about championing some great cause of justice or mercy? That's great. Those causes are great. But all of those are secondary to the purpose of God on your life, which is to look like Jesus, to boldly proclaim his gospel, and to be plugged in to his body so that we can be the fullness. Those callings are all secondary. Do you know the hope of your calling? Do you know how beautiful and powerful and fun and exciting this gets when we're all plugged in together? My in-laws on the front. No, welcome from California, by the way. These are Arlena's parents. Okay, listen. You know, they just moved to Utah on Monday. Y'all give them a, well, a warm welcome, please, okay? You know why they moved to Utah? I'm going to honor y'all for a second. You know why they moved to Utah? It's not just because I had to have five kids to convince them finally to live in my same town, okay? It's because they are called by 
glorify God, okay? To be a part of his church and to be a part of a last day's church in its fullness, okay? And they saw what God was doing here. They wanted to be a part of it. So they sold their house in California because they're called by God. And there's nothing else they want to do more than be a part of a church in its fullness. And they said, come on, we'll put the hand on the plow with you. They're called by God. We're going to do a couple things here. If you've been struggling with hopelessness, I want you to be bold. If you've been struggling with hopelessness, it might be rooted in your prayer life. It might be rooted in your calling. But if you've been struggling with hopelessness, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I am going to ask for a little surrender, okay? So actually, let's do this. Everybody close your eyes because hopelessness does not like to be exposed out in public sometimes. So I want you to close your eyes if you're in this room. And if you've been struggling with hopelessness, I want you to just put your hands before you in a receiving position, okay? I want you to put your hands before you because God has a new portion for you to receive today. So what I want you to do is I want you to let go of your hopelessness just in your mind and your heart. I want you to release it by extending your hands in front of you. And I want you to prepare right now to pray and receive the hope of your calling. So right now, Lord, I pray for every hopeless person, every hopeless situation, Lord, whatever it is rooted in, right now we release the hope of the Holy Spirit. Get Romans 15 up there for me. Get Romans 15, Lord. We release a power of the Holy Spirit. Church, if you have hope in you right now, I want you to look at this screen and pray this for me right with me right now. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Come on, receive today the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. Hold on, hold on. I want to tell you something. Look, whatever led to your hopelessness, whatever led you to your hopelessness, the the Lord wants you to know today there's no room for shame right now in this moment you need to say shame go no matter how I got here go Jesus has covered me and I receive the power of the Holy Spirit to fill me with a fresh hope receive a fresh hope today praise God somebody praise God in this room thank you Lord second thing I want to do we've been preaching the gospel a lot We preached the gospel last week really clearly. We've been talking about the gospel a lot these last couple weeks. Something was on my heart. If there is an evangelistic gifting or calling on your life, I want you to raise your hand. You have just felt for a long time, there is a calling on my life to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. Come on, be bold. Get your hand up there. Okay, there's some gifting in you. I want you to know, okay, that you think about sharing the gospel all the time. That's not normal. It's because you're a gifted evangelist in the Holy Spirit, okay? When you got saved and holiness got inside of you, he gave you gifts that are not normal and natural. And so I want you, if you're near one of these people, extend a hand, put a hand on them. I want to commission the evangelists in this house to carry the gospel. Come on, put a hand on these guys. Lord, we just thank you for the evangelistic gifting. And we pray right now. I believe, like when we saw in the book of Acts in the upper room, there were tongues of fire that came in 
rested on them. You remember that story? Pray that right now for these guys that have their hands. Lord, for the evangelists in the room, I pray for the fire of God. That's the energy, the power, the excitement of the gospel to burn on each of these heads. Lord, I thank you for Reuben. I thank you for Scott. God, I thank you for Murray. Father, I thank you so much for these men and women in the room. I thank you for Ashley. God, thank you for the evangelists in this room. Lord, we commission them. Commission them in the name of Jesus. All right, serve team leaders. Get back in those rooms back there. Flip these lights on. Flip these lights on. Here's the last thing we're going to do, okay? We're not released yet. You're going to be released in about six minutes, all right? They're going to keep worshiping. They're going to lead us into some song. They're going to keep praying, okay? And here's what you're going to do. We've got our production worship crew, our prayer prophetic team. We've got the creative team, the college team, the outreach team, our welcome and serve team. If you know what your gift is and it's not connected to the fullness of the body, I want to encourage you, take a stroll around the room, no pressure, talk to some of these guys, get a cookie, get a Rice Krispie treat from the creative team. I'm just saying, they're in there, all right? Listen, and I want you to, if you know what your gift is, go find a place and plug it in because listen, listen, church, it matters that we get this right because if between the head and his feet and remember what's supposed to be under his feet say everything okay remember what's supposed to be under his feet okay so if between the head and the feet is the church then we've got to get this right it is not plan b on the earth plan a on the earth to see the darkness unseated is a church fully alive it's not just the hope for your life it's the hope of the world so i want you if you know your gift go walk around okay if you don't that is fine it's taken me years to figure out what the calling of god on my life is sit in your chair worship we're going to throw up a scripture romans 12 and pray and ask god what is in me that i can bring to the body that's simple Father, thank you that today you are washing away hopelessness in this room, Lord. You are calling us in a fresh new way and to the hope of our calling. And if you're with the Lord, and if you're with me, and if you're with this house, I just want you to say, yes, Lord. I say yes to a new season. I say yes, God, to a new calling. I say yes to a new hope. Maybe y'all, some of y'all in here need to say yes to a new gift. Lord, I pray you would release new gifts in this room today and that we would be a full body, fully alive in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on. We're going to start singing. You're released in four minutes, okay, for the next four minutes. Deal with the Lord. Walk around the room and then we'll get up here and we'll send you out here in just a second.